Welcome to the ITAM Review Podcast, news, reviews and resources for ITAM, SAM and software licensing professionals. Welcome to the ITAM Review Podcast. My name is Martin Thompson from the ITAM Review. And on this podcast, I'm pleased to speak to Harinda Bansal from Motability Finance. I stumbled across Harinda on LinkedIn. He was having a very uh, interesting discussion around the intersection between IT procurement and ITAM. And I thought it'd be really useful to have a chat with him on the podcast. So Harinda, welcome. Thank you, Martin. Could you describe to the listeners what your current role is? So I guess by way of introduction, um, I'm in an IT procurement uh, position. Uh, I currently head up a team, an IT procurement team at uh, MO. And in terms of our scope and our why, or our proposition to business, uh, we want to work and partner with uh, IT to basically maximize value out of our third-party agreements. So this could mean various types of value levers, such as reducing costs, reducing risk, uh, tapping into supplier innovation out there, um, and looking at ways we can optimize processes and look for efficiencies. Due to the, the independence of our department, if you like, um, we speak with suppliers every day and naturally we hear about some of the great enterprise technologies coming out and some of the, the new product launches that are coming out. And I guess we want to facilitate the process around introducing new ideas into the business and explore ways where we can really add value with the business. It's broader scope than I thought for IT procurement because you're almost you're being a conduit between new innovation and new developments from particular vendors into the business, aren't you? Yeah, I kind of, I've got a really bad example, but I think of it like a hamburger where if, if IT was the bun at the top and the supply market was the bun at the bottom, we're sandwiched in between. And so, you know, we're kind of, I mean, it's not to say that both, both buns can't talk to each other, but that's our job to talk to suppliers to negotiate contracts to, supply and manage and to ensure that business requirements are being met and often more often than not you know the day-to-day stakeholders don't always want to have those difficult uh, difficult discussions and we're quite happy to do that if it means helping them get what they need and how did you even start in this industry how did it all start and what was your first role in it procurement <laughs> to be honest it wasn't planned um Years ago, I qualified as a mechanical engineer um, and I thought that would be my, my job for life, really. Um, you know, you study something for, for four or five years and you don't really anticipate deviating from that. But it just so happens I, I did a mechanical engineering role for a bit and I realized it wasn't for me. So I very quickly had to think of a, uh, a plan B. And that's when I saw an interesting role at Tesco head office going at the time. And it was a M&E buyer role. M&E standing for mechanical and electrical contractors. So very briefly, that role was all about working with some of these engineering firms to help build new Tesco stores or refresh uh, buildings around the country. And I felt that fitted uh, me quite well because of my technical background, coupled with the commercial aspects of this role. So that was my step into procurement. And I guess between then and now, I've worked across various procurement teams across different industries, including retail and pharma. Um, 
but I've developed an interest in IT partly because it's so challenging and complex and that for me just brings new learning opportunities. I love to learn all the time but also it's, it's very dynamic and ever-changing and so I've it's fair to say most of my experience to date has been in IT procurement. So I've spoken to procurement people in the past and they've almost described a funnel approach. So if, if we take it to the other side of the business, if you're in sales and you're selling product or services for your business, a sales person would often have a funnel and they put the, the new leads at the top and they have to work them through the sales process, losing some along the way. And ultimately they'll get some deals come out the bottom. Is procurement, do you, do you approach it the similar way? If you get up in the morning, what drives you? What, where's your focus? It's, it's a similar approach. I mean, you can call it a funnel, you could call it a hopper, where I would want to encourage my, my team, or I would hope that most teams encourage themselves to come up with new ideas. And it could be things they've thought of themselves or where um, they've, they've managed to capture a lead from a supplier that they can then introduce into the business as an idea. You know, if we take, for argument's sake, and, it, and innovation doesn't necessarily have to be novel, it doesn't have to be we're the only ones in the world doing it. It's, it's by definition a new idea that the business hasn't uh, explored before. So something could be third-party software maintenance. You know, that could be a funnel idea to potentially explore. Not to say that we have to do it, but if it's not being considered before, add it to the hopper along with many other things. And, and as you say, if 10% uh, of those ideas come to fruition, then to me, that's a level of success because without dumping it in the hopper, you won't really know how far it gets down the chain. And what are, what are some examples? You mentioned third-party support. Um, what are some other examples of innovation that you've been able to, assuming you're allowed to share that, what sort of examples of innovation have you been able to implement over the last year? think um so third party would be one of them um and generally speaking without going into specific of where i've worked and things um it doesn't always have to be it so you've got um there's a bit of innovation happening in the hardware reseller market at the moment i won't name the supplier but that's quite interesting where it's more of an open book basis on on the margins and how that all works you've got things like purchasing cards and virtual and physical cards and how that can potentially attract rebates based on the spend that you're pushing through the card scheme. Um, we've obviously spoken about third-party maintenance. There's things you can do around supplier terms, for example, decoupling the fact that um, you potentially have the right to not pay maintenance on, on licenses, and potentially looking at decoupling maintenance and support if it's possible. You know, suppliers won't like it because it's high margin for them, but hey-ho, if it's options for us and we care about those options, then let's think outside the box and be creative and innovative. Absolutely. So what's happening in IT procurement at the moment? I know, obviously, we're recording this in mid-March mid uh, 2021. We are still locked down in a pandemic. You've, you've said that you love the role, but what's, what's shaping your role at the moment? What's happening in IT procurement? What trends are, sh are shaping that industry at the moment? I think, first of all, it's, it's evident that technology is playing a huge role in supporting people's lives throughout COVID. You don't have to look very far um, to your neighbor or your colleagues. You know, they're all gonna be using collaboration tools now, such as Zoom and Teams to help all of us work from home. Um, 
our, our lives are changing, let alone in the workplace. You know, you've got in Google offering Google Classroom free of charge for schools to deliver lessons remotely. Vendors are changing their models. They're adapting to the macroeconomic circumstances out there and IT procurement needs to do the same. If models are changing, if, if markets are changing, we need to kind of maintain our game and understand uh, how that dictates commercial models going forwards. You know, if, um, licensing metrics could change, for example. I would expect that we are trying to keep up to date with how that's changing and how we can use it to our advantage. Um, I think generally in trends, I mean, you'd know more this, you'd know more about this than anyone. Vendors out there are enticing customers away to move from on-premise to, to SaaS solutions, for example. So this this means that IT procurement need to, I guess, evolve their skill set uh, to ensure that they they understand you know key terms to look out for and different ways they can work with IT to add value and and reduce risk. Cost reduction is one of those value levers that will always be important to a procurement team, but because of the pandemic and the challenges that brings, it's, it's high up the priority list more than ever as companies fight to survive. Um, but it's increasingly becoming on par with risk management. So, you know, I know that some companies out there are looking at some of their owner's contracts to see if they can exit them um, because if they're not getting any benefit from them because of COVID and they can't reap the benefits, then they're looking to try and exit. And so risk management as a lever or as a, or as a service offering from procurement to the businesses is increasingly important. And um, I think in terms of general trends, I think um, time to market is, is something else that's becoming more important. So IT procurement are being asked to run faster uh, than they ever have before. So we've all been used to the traditional RFP processes around, you know, sending out a 60 page document and running with the traditional process. Um, but teams out there now, uh, certainly high, high performing teams are looking at agile ways of working uh, and agile sourcing methodologies. And this really turns the traditional RFP process on its head uh, by getting suppliers in front of stakeholders faster bypassing the, the lengthy documents up front to assess functional uh, requirements first and, first and foremost. So that's quite interesting as well in terms of running faster and adapting to the time to market needs. Just by means of an example of that, I, I was reading this morning around um, someone trying to renegotiate printer contracts because printers are bought on the basis that everyone's going to be in an office and they're clearly not at the moment and won't be for the foreseeable future. So you're almost a little bit hamstrung because you're, you've negotiated based on demand that suddenly disappeared. Yep. Um, have, have you got any tips for, for, you can't, you know, there's a contract there ultimately, but it, it, is, is there ways and means of, of exiting that? It's, it's a difficult one. I mean, more often than not, um, no buyer would have foreseen this circumstance of COVID. And so you would never have imagined demand for that service dropping uh, by such magnitude. And if you've signed up to the standard T's and C's of the supplier, you're, you're gonna have to pay out the contract, generally speaking. However, what I have seen um, is that some suppliers are trying to be understanding and they are not, not necessarily offering it, but if you ask the right questions, they may offer it, which is around holiday payments. So if you're locked into a multifunctional device contract and it's three years, 
can you get a six month holiday and push out those six months payments to the back end when demand's likely to be picked up? That just alleviates cash flow um, issues in the current financial year you're facing. And it may be, it may, you may think it's small, but actually as companies are fighting to survive, it's all about the cash you have right now and maximizing how you're using that. So that could be one way to get out of that issue. So Harinda, we, we um, talked to each other originally because you were having a, a challenge, so we say, around IT asset management. Um, could you describe your relationship with IT asset management and IT procurement? How, do, how does that work? And maybe could you share a little bit about the poll that you've done on LinkedIn? So IT asset management, it's, it's an area of development for me. It's something that I'm learning more and more about every day. Um, what I can share is one of the things I learned about was the ITAM, I guess, ITAM cycle, where you've got the, the four or five steps, depending on what model you look at, around step one, procurement, we're going to buy something, two, deploy and discover, maintain, support, and then retire that asset and dispose of it at the end of its useful life. The first bit of that is procurement. So when I think of a Venn diagram, there is something common there between an ITAM team and, and a procurement team because there are different ways to procure things and also there's different tactics that you might want to adopt when speaking with certain suppliers. And so I think there's a skill set that's common there. And that's where I think ITAM and procurement can work together to maximize the deal on the table. Um, I think that ITAM plays a really important role in organizations. Um, I don't need to tell you, Martin, what the benefits are. Um, but one challenge I do see is that it, it could be perceived as potentially a purely clerical or administrative role. And that may be linked to the fact that a specific organization um, is, is slightly immature on that curve, if you like. So that may be a challenge that ITEM has. Um, but I really like the benefits that the role brings. You know, So for me, having all of our licensing metrics and information in one place just means that we have a single source of the truth of what we have. I mean, um, we know that different companies have lots of different tools collecting different types of data. And I imagine it's a nightmare trying to understand what you have uh, in a single database. Um, from a procurement perspective, um, I love the fact that one of the value levers for an item person is elimination of waste. Uh, an example of this is by avoiding the purchasing of unnecessary licenses. If you've got them, in a license pool already. Procurement call this cost avoidance because you're avoiding paying a cost by re reusing something else. And um, there's definitely a value lever there. That's that's welcome from procurement. I think up until now, I've never never really worked with an ITAM person. So I've not been too close uh, to what they do in all honesty. Um, but what I do know is that given the rise in certain vendors now auditing clients more and more, as you know, uh, it's more important than ever for both teams to, strong, to form a strong partnership and, and to really complement each other's expertise and skill set. So perhaps one lesson out of all of this could be for IT procurement to introduce themselves to their respective item person or vice versa and start to think about how we build that strong working relationship um, for the benefit of the company because there are skill sets in common and skill sets that are unique. And like any team, how can we look for those synergies? 
the way I view it, and maybe this is an out-of-date view of IT procurement, please correct me if I'm wrong here, but the archetypal procurement person is looking to maximize the value for the for the for the organization. And yeah. they'll see they'll see a key way of doing that is to reduce the cost they're paying or the cost yeah. per item. And by doing that, they might be overlooking the fact that some of the stuff they're buying is not actually being used or is is um over spec for what they actually need and that's the sort of that's the business intelligence that an item person can bring to the table they can really add, add power to the procurement's elbow I, I completely agree and this is something that in an ideal world id procurement would do but given our role that that's not technical in nature this is where we have to recognize our limitations of what we can and can't do and this is exactly what I mean, recognizing the skills and the strengths that an ITAM person brings to the table and looking for ways on how we can work together on that. I also think, Martin, it's how IT procurement teams measure themselves. If you purely measure yourself on cost avoidance, you're missing out on other value uh, areas to be had. So, for example, um, if you negotiate a contract, but there are no cost reductions, but you manage to negotiate other key commercial terms, um, such as take an audit clause, for example being able to push the audit costs to the supplier and being able to have those as infrequent as possible, it, there's value in negotiating that. Um, and that should be recognized and that should be measured. And that's something that sh we should target ourselves on. So you, so you achieve a general balance of performance, not just around cost avoidance and cost savings. So could, you, could we just unpick that? Um, Harinda, because how do you report things to your management team? So there's cost savings, there's cost avoidance. Some might call them soft savings versus hard savings. What's what's the definition to you? What's what's the most important for your business? I don't think IT procurement teams or any procurement team are ever going to get away from savings, and nor should they, because it's it's important that we have a financial measure in place. But I think we need to add to that. I think we need to to think about how we measure our top suppliers. You know, are they performing well against their contracts? Are they delivering against their SLAs and, and their obligations? You, you could pull that together in a simple table. So when we come to talking about performance metrics, they don't always have to be numbers. So this is kind of a lesson I've learned along the way. Think about qualitative and quantitative metrics. So along the lines of supplier performance, you've got, yeah, cost savings. Another one that um, is something that's important to me is how we've helped improve commercial terms. So when any procurement team goes into negotiation, I would hope they have a negotiation plan on say the five or 10 things they want to negotiate. To do that, you need to know your starting position so you know where you're gonna negotiate from and what the outcomes you are hoping for to achieve. And by understanding the, the, the as-is and the to-be, uh, future state, you can then demonstrate how you've improved commercial terms through good negotiation. How we measure that and how we track that is a challenge I think most procurement teams have, but we have to remember to keep it simple and we can use words and it doesn't always have to be numbers. And could you share the findings of this poll that you've done? Because you, you were asking basically, it, it, correct me if I'm wrong here, but you were asking where does where should ITAM sit? Should it be in procurement? Should it be in operations? Should it be in finance, etc.? What, what did you find? So nearly two months ago, I created a LinkedIn voting poll 
where I asked the LinkedIn community the following question. In an ideal world, where should an ITAM team or person sit? Should it sit within IT procurement or somewhere else? Say, for example, service management in IT or somewhere else outside IT. So as I mentioned before, me being new to this, I didn't really know the answer to the question. But since I've had the results back, it's clear that there isn't a right or wrong answer. So in terms of that being a situation, Martin, you know, looking at the results and what I've analyzed, 29% um, of the people that voted, at, so 180 people voted, 29% of those people held general IT positions and they, they voted a mix of, well, it should sit within IT procurement, but it can also sit in the wider IT department. 23%, so 42 people held IT procurement positions. And again, it was a similar split where 18 people were, um, 18 procurement professionals voted for IT procurement and 23 voted for wider IT. So, so looking at how these different professions voted and the answers they voted on, it, the results told me that there isn't a clear answer and it all depends in inverted commas, which then got me thinking about what does it depend on? You know, there must be some sort of criteria or some sort of company circumstance that may indicate where it should sit. And to a point, it doesn't matter where it sits. You know, there was a comment on the thread which said, you know, as long as everyone's working well together, does it matter where it sits? And it's right, and that person's right. But given that it needs to sit somewhere, that prompted me to create this poll. And, and in my humble opinion, I think it depends on how big the organization is and, and, and their size and whether they're a global organization. I think it, it depends on the company expectations um, and what they expect from procurement and item and where each department is on their maturity journey. And so I, I think it's an interesting question that has been answered by many different people around the world, but it, it just goes to show Martin, there isn't a right or wrong answer. Sometimes you have to trial something and see if it works and then potentially switch it up if it's not working. Absolutely, I mean, the my, my short answer is, I think ITAM can sit anywhere um, as long as the people that it's reporting into get it. So it could be marketing if, if, if it means that it gets the job done. But yeah. the, the, the less flippant answer, and it goes to your point around, it depends on where people are in terms of their maturity, is if you have a mature ITAM function, it, I think it should be in the office of the CIO because it's, it's a, a, a ITAM done well is strategic advisory. And it, and it can touch on so many different parts of the business that it should be at that level. But saying that, I, I, and I remember saying to you when we first spoke, Harinda, that um, I think, you know, excuse the pun, but you have a real asset having ITAM in your team and you should take advantage of it. I think um, IT procurement and ITAM is, is a fantastic partnership and uh, you should make the most of it. Absolutely, Martin. Um... Yeah, I'm very fortunate to have this role in, in my current team. And as I mentioned to you in our introductory call, I've, I've never seen it in a procurement team before. But I've since learned that it's not uncommon in places where it can work. Um, and so because of this new role in this team that I've not seen before, it's, it's made me want to learn more about the value they bring to the organization. Because 
what they do day in day out is important it's not just about turning the handle it's about looking for those other value adds um just to bring that to life a bit you know if i've if part of my procurement team are buying new software licenses and introducing that to the software estate the next question is is how that gets communicated to the item person and gets captured on their radar and on their register, if you like. So there is that seamless communication between new stuff coming in um, the business and being able to, and for it to land on the radar, for it to be managed throughout its life cycle. So that's where I think there is an advantage of having that person in the team. So we can have that weekly communication. You know, has anything been bought that needs to be added to this person's radar? Yes or no. And it's just, it's useful to have that person in the team. Whereas what I've seen before, Martin, there, there tends to be a bit of a departmental silo barrier, if I can say that, where it's procurement versus ITAM. They don't want to work with us. We don't want to work with them. But that might be partly due to not really understanding what they do and how they can help us. So if anyone has, if, if, if you're sat there listening to this podcast and you're, you have a, a an opinion you want to share about this please i'll share the link to harinda's linkedin post please jump in on that conversation and add your views uh, we'd love to hear from you i'll share the link to the poll and the thread in the show notes that accompany this podcast um harinda i really appreciate your time sharing your views here to finish if i may if you had a message for it procurement professionals about working with itam and vice versa what would you say to them when a supplier sends you a renewal quote, and in that quote it says, right, here's, here's your hardware assets and here's our maintenance renewal. The question you should be asking yourself is, how do you know you still have those assets today? If you don't know that information, you don't really know why you're buying that amount of hardware maintenance that that supplier is offering. You cannot simply rely on the fact that what you bought last year and what you had last year in, in the infra infrastructure estate is what you have been to have this year. We know that cloud adoption is on the rise and there's less companies out there having their own data centers. And so it shouldn't be unreasonable to expect that the hardware state internally is changing. The best place to get that information is from an ITAM expert because this is exactly what they do day in, day out. Track hardware and software and increasingly cloud application uh, assets to keep a real-time view on what a company has reach out to the ISIP manager, introduce yourself, understand what they do, demonstrate what you do and find a way of working that helps bring out the best of both roles. So Harinda, thank you for your leadership in this area. You sort of, you've raised the conversation and you've got people talking about this and it's really powerful. So thank you. No, thank you. It's, it's been a real pleasure. Uh, I've really enjoyed speaking with you and uh, to keep it coming. Bye. Bye. Bye.